I'm assuming that must have been a difficult call for an 18 year old kid to make. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was obviously a, a weird time. And, uh, they, yeah. At that time, they didn't even really have a coach. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here on Youth Inc., presented by Audiorama. And as always, our friends at Invisalign. We are once again joined by my producer, Tasha. Tasha, what is happening? What's going on? Greg, how was, your, how was your weekend? Oh, I just got back as, as of this recording. I just got back last night at like 11 o'clock from Savannah, Georgia, where my oldest son and his traveling baseball team wild experience of flying all over the country and driving all over the country. We went to Savannah, which was actually a really cool town. I'd never been to Savannah. It was, uh, it's like a four hour drive from Charlotte. So we went after school on Friday, met all the kids and coaches on his team, spent the weekend there, played five games. Um, the competition wasn't great. We, we got challenged a little bit in the championship. It wasn't great necessarily competition, but they won all five games. They played pretty nice. well for the most part. So um, he had a good weekend. My daughter, unfortunately, she lost her soccer game Saturday morning, uh, three to two. She had two breakaway goal opportunities and she had one stolen and one she missed. So mm. she had her chances, but the other team um, was pretty good. And then my youngest son, he was off this weekend. So he came he came with us to Savannah and just kind of ran around and hung out with the other kids. His team this weekend, Tasha, you're going to love this. So I went to Savannah with one son's team. And now this weekend, we take my other son's team to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee for the Cal Ripken experience down there. So back to back, back to back road trips. And it's, uh, it's just a thrill a minute. What makes Savannah a cool town? Why did you say Savannah a cool town? It like, was it's it is pretty cool. Like it's kind of like a Charleston vibe. I don't know if you for anyone who's not on the East Coast, they probably know, for you West Coasters, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's got like a, you know, every building was built in 1800 and you know, there's a lot of history there and a lot of war history and you mm. could walk, you could take like tours throughout the entire city and get you know, all sorts of different little nuggets and you know, stuff from the civil war and stuff from the revolution. It's just a, it's just an interesting historical city. Every road is like cobblestones and it's uh, it, it's cool. I'd never been there. People from this, you know, people from the Carolinas love going there on vacation. So we ended up uh, experiencing it through the experience of 10 year old baseball players. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, while you're in Tennessee this weekend, the NFL draft is happening this weekend yep. and college football's players, you know, get to live out their dreams. Like, do you remember being in that moment waiting that weekend back when you were a college student, college player? Oh man, I, I'll, I'll never forget it. We actually stayed down in Miami. Um, we stayed at the shore club, which is like a swanky little like beach, my South beach hotel. <laughs> and looking back on it, it was pretty interesting that that's where we stayed, you know, fresh out of college. But, uh, that's what we did. We spent the week there, um, had all the festivities. I had to go up to New York for a couple little things, but I was not invited to the draft. So we spent, we spent draft day down in Miami at the shore club and had all of our family and friends. And man, it was a long draft. I I was, I was drafted almost like six hours after the first pick was on the clock. So it was a long day, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, there's nothing like the draft. It's really changed a lot since I came out. You know, now it starts on Thursday. It's in prime time. They fly Mm -hmm. a ton of guys to New York and walk the red carpet. It's more of like an event than it was necessarily when I came out. But everyone dreams, every college kid dreams of one day hearing their name announced. And 
You know, when that day finally comes, you don't care if it's pick one or pick 200. You just want to hear your name announced so you can move on to that next step. And uh, 15 years ago, I was fortunate enough to hear mine. Were you excited or nervous? Like, was it a stressful day or was it like, it felt like a party or felt like a... No, it was a stressful day. I was about to say. Every player's worst, at least my worst nightmare was like, oh my God, I left college early. What if I don't get drafted? Or like, Mm -hmm. what if I don't get drafted in the first round, right? Like that was my biggest, my biggest fear was like, did I do this right? When I came out of school, I was like, I'm going to get, I'm going to will myself to be a first round pick. I'm going to kill the combine. I'm going to crush all my pro days and my interviews and all that. And then when the day comes, you're like, someone still has to pick me, you know? And like, you're following all these mock drafts and all these, you know, speculative reports about which teams are looking to, you know, draft certain positions and whatnot. And it was all over the map. And, um, it was, I'll tell you, I sweat through my suit. It was a, until you, until oh, I gosh. heard my name, I was like a wreck. I was like a basket case. <laughs> it's a, oh man, I can't imagine. Yeah, Obviously a, a lot of, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of mixed emotions going through your brain all at the same time. Yeah. And, and these kids now like they're entering, you know, the NFL at the beginning of what a shifting landscape for college football, right? Like it's kind of high school students now when they're entering college, it's almost similar to the NFL now with like we see six and seven figure NIL deals and with the name image and likeness. And so this is probably another factor that recruits, you know, when they're being recruited and picking college schools, like they have to consider. Um, So I guess the question is, is what were your deciding factors when you were choosing a college? How do you think NIL is changing some deciding factors for college players today? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I think it's completely different than it was, you know, 20 years ago when I was coming out. I mean, I, I think to just, we touched on the day I heard my name get drafted. Mm-hmm. The day I got drafted, you know, I got a couple dollars from my agent those previous few months to live and to train. And, you know, you're talking not big sums of money, but then when your name gets drafted and you know which slot you're picked, you're like, okay, I know I'm going to, for the first time in my life, I'm going to make some money and, you know, have a couple bucks in my pocket. You know, I was a, for four years and you're a, college student, you know, living on your, you know, your stipend and your parents would give you a couple bucks when they'd come into town and whatnot. But, you know, you by no means were living large, let alone then down in Miami. And now all, you know, now you think about these kids and to your point, high school kids are now name image likeness based on what, what state you live on. They, that, you know, some States allow it, some States don't allow it. But for the most part, all these kids entering college, especially the top recruits, you know, they're entering and living through four years of college, three years of college, with hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars in their pocket, at least for the top ones. So to your point, the, the idea of picking a college now has so much, has so much change. And when I came out, our big emphasis was, you know, the coaching staff and the education and the school and the, and the support system around you to not only develop as an athlete, but to develop, you know, and to get your degree and get a meaningful degree, you know, under the assumption that you're playing, you know, your football days ended whenever you graduated, you know, college, if, if you weren't fortunate enough to go play, and make a living out of it, how could you leverage the experience at that university to have a future, right? To have a degree, to go out and get a job and enter the real world. You know, those were all decisions that you were making in real time as an 18 year old kid, as you visited different colleges and as different coaches and staffs would come visit your high school or come to a home visit. Those were a lot of things that those were really the only factors people considered. How are you going to develop me as a football player? And how are you going to develop me to get a meaningful degree that I could use one day potentially. And now it's just completely flipped on its head. You know, I can move schools. I can transfer. If I don't like it after year one, I can go somewhere else year two. 
with yep. the portal, I can chase hundred thousand dollar guarantees and marketing deals and name image likeness. There's just so many other deciding factors now that these families are taking into account. It's um, you know, they don't have to wait anymore till draft day to make a few dollars. It's yep. it, it's completely it's completely different. Do you think it's a good thing for college sports NIL? You know, I, 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 I like anything. I think the intent, I think the intent is right. I think the intent that these college kids, you know, who are having money made off their backs and off their work and off their efforts and their Jersey sales and ticket sales. I mean, there is a lot of money being made, especially at the top tier programs on the backs of these young, you know, student athletes that, that argument, I understand. I think what's happening now is we're in essence, just seeing a, a, a free for all of Yes, it is a free market, which I understand. But at the same time, we're allowing the, the powers to be just continued to consolidate more power, right? If It's hard to compete with Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M. They were getting the top recruiting classes to begin with, but at least you had a somewhat of a fair shot. Now you, you're not getting a kid from Texas A&M. There's a reason they're signing a historically good recruiting class this year for football because they have unlimited donor support. They have unlimited ability to leverage the name, name, image, likeness. It's just an entirely different battlegrounds. And the the name, image, likeness stuff, I could sort of wrap my head around when you factor out the numbers, a very, very small percentage of kids are actually benefiting significantly from it. The part where I think it gets a little dangerous is the transfer portal. I mean, we're, we're seeing Mm. it more and more and what the, the, unforeseen consequence of the transfer portal is how it's trickling down to kids getting college scholarships out of high school, right? Everyone wants to talk about the ability of a college kid to just bounce around as maybe his coach leaves or he loses the starting job to continue to further his career. But how about what these colleges are doing though, is they're saving that bottom, you know, 10 scholarships, eight scholarships a year. And they're holding those. And they're in essence, like putting it in the bank because they want to get those kids from the transfer portal. And maybe a kid who was a borderline division one player who otherwise they would have taken a shot out of high school and given him a scholarship. That kid's not getting a scholarship anymore. They're going to hold that. And even if they don't fill all 85 talking specifically in football, if mm-hmm. they're not going to hold, they're not going to use all 85 because they want to make sure that if some kid from Auburn, if some kid from some other school who was a big recruit two years ago decides to transfer, that they have a they have a spot available for a now a 20-year-old who's been in a college program for two years. That's that's the unforeseen trickle-down effect of a lot of this stuff. And, and you're seeing it play out with the access to scholarships for kids coming out of high school who are maybe on the borderline. Oh yeah. It's it's all interconnected too, right? Like yep. of course they're saving scholarships because they can't recruit players because the NIL, like you have to wait for Alabama's, you know, third, fourth quarterback to enter the transfer portal to yep. even have a shot at him. So it's, it's tough. I think, yeah, I think it's a good thing for the students. I think it's tricky with the NCAA. Like how do they control that money flow and make it even playing across the field? Yeah, you can't. You don't. It's done. That, that, that cat, it's out of the bag. Now there's, there's no going back. You're not putting that back inside and, and restructuring it. Once they decided to make this to wild West, it's now just an ultimate free market which in most cases is a, is a great thing. I just think now when it's such uneven playing fields and the haves and the have nots are just continuing to be pushed further and further apart. I'm not sure if we'll ever see amateur athletics ever again. We, we in essence just have stages and, and levels of professional sports, even high school sports, even youth sports that we're tackling a lot of those things here. 
professional sports is now intertwined into all aspects of athletics from the youth age all the way up to what we've considered for a long time traditional professional sports. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, amateur sports and how they're becoming more professional and the NIL and the recruitment process, someone who understands that landscape and grew up, you know, in this era right now is one of our guests today. Yes, we are joined. We have the pleasure today of speaking with Los Alamitos High School quarterback, recent University of Southern California recruit, one of the top overall players in the 2023 um, class. Uh, He is right on the heels of a very well-known Arch Manning. We spoke with his father, Cooper, a few episodes ago about his recruiting process. Well, Malachi Nelson, a lot of people know he was committed to Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley one of the top quarterbacks in the class, Lincoln Riley, of course, leaves and goes to USC. Malachi decommits, follows Lincoln Riley, stays home in California, closer to where he grew grew up, and uh, will join Lincoln Riley in that USC team next year. So to have the opportunity to speak with Malachi and also be joined by his father, Eric, uh, was just a huge treat and a great insight into a lot of these things that we've been talking about. You know, this ever-changing landscape of youth sports, NIL, college recruitment, Uh, It was a really, really cool, fascinating conversation. So thank you, as always, to our presenting sponsor, Invisalign. Invisalign is the number one doctor-trusted brand, having transformed over 12 million smiles for over 25 years. Invisalign gives you the opportunity to make trusted decisions that can help build confidence for your child. Find your trusted provider at Invisalign.com or talk to your doctor. So now, please enjoy this conversation with Malachi Nelson and his father, Eric. Welcome back to You Think. We have a really special episode today. We're just thrilled to be joined by him. He's one of the top overall players in the entire class of 2023 um, from Los Alamitos High School in California. He is already committed. He's a junior to go with Lincoln Riley to USC. We're going to cover all of that. And we are just thrilled today to be joined by not only Malachi Nelson, but also his father, Eric. And uh, I just want, uh, Eric, Malachi, I just wanted to thank you guys so much for joining us today on You Think. Not a problem. Thanks for having us. Yeah, well, yeah it's, it's a pleasure. Yeah, this, this is super cool. And, and as I said, kind of introducing you guys, we've, we've, we've had a couple other athletes and fam, you know, parents on at the same time. Some, we had the, the Mewis family, who's professional soccer players and their father. And what, but for the first time now, we have both an amateur athlete, you know, a high school, in your case, a high school athlete, and their father. And I just think it's such a unique perspective for our viewers to hear now firsthand. We're, we're not asking somebody to look back on their career. We're not asking someone to look back at their childhood and, and experience in youth sports. We're actually getting it in real time. So we, again, we, we appreciate you guys joining us. I, I, Eric, I'm going to actually, I'm going to start with you as, as a father and, and just as, as the parent of, of Malachi, I know you've spent a lot of time coaching him, you know, just give us an idea from a, from a parental role you know, what has this experience been like for you watching Malachi grow up from a little boy playing Pop Warner, running around to now having college coaches come in, recruiting this NIL stuff. And like, it's just a very different world. And and I just think it'd be really interesting to hear it from your point of view first, before we dive into Malachi's experience. And I I just love that kind of for our viewers, you just kind of set the landscape of what that experience has been like getting to this point. Yeah, a lot of hard work, uh, obviously, you know, really on his part, you know, at a very young age, you know, Malachi had a passion to be an NFL guy. That's at an early age. He said, I want to be an NFL. And it's like, 
Well, less than 1% of the guys in the world actually do that. But, you know, we teach our kids to chase the dreams. And so people never plan to fail. They fail to plan. We try to work backwards from that goal. And, you know, we knew it was going to take a lot of hard work, a lot of effort, and um, he was willing to do it. So really, it's a testament to him. But I guess one word would be unbelievable, right? I mean, because I knew how difficult it would be. You've lived this dream. You're part of less than the 1%. But for me, it's unbelievable. At five years old, like any dad, I thought, wow, this kid can really throw a football. <laughs> but I'm like, man, is this my daddy goggles? Like he, you know, he <laughs> picked up a baseball and he could just, he, I knew at a very early age, he had an arm, but I didn't know what that meant. And um, to be at this place now, it's it's amazing. But, you know, we thought we had a good plan and understanding. And then the whole NIL space came in. And for us, I think navigating that, we just really wanted to keep the main thing, the main thing, which was, you know, he, he never as a little kid said, dad, I want to make a whole bunch of money doing NIL. I never wanted to, you know, it was always NFL. So for us navigating the NIL space, it's just trying not to get our eyes off of the goal, right? Which is to be the best football player that he could be. But at the same time, you know, not being naive and allowing him to miss out on some opportunities, but never those opportunities triumphing really what the goal was. And that's such, it's such a great point that, that phrase, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. So Malachi, here you are, you're an 18 year old kid, right? And I know you're not really a kid, but in the grand scheme of things from where you're about to go, you're about to enter, you're not even, you're still a year away from college, let alone the NFL. So in a lot of realms, you are young and you are kind of just starting out your, your journey here. So you hear your dad say, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing, not to get distracted. So here you are, you're a top tier recruit. You can go to any college in the country. You've already gone through the, the transition from being committed to Oklahoma and now follow, you know, going with Lincoln Riley to USC. And I want to dive a little deeper into that here in a minute. But just how do you deal with the expectations? You know, going into your senior year, you know you're going to have all the spotlight on you. People are going to be watching every pass you throw. Every like, What is the process for you internally on a day-to-day basis to do what your dad said, which is keep the main thing the main thing and everything else around you, the NIL, recruiting, camps, Elite 11, all that stuff, and just allow that to all just play itself out. I understood in my in myself that I had to do these certain things that, you know, maybe missing out on parties or missing out on these things to kind of, you know, keep that main goal the main goal, like we were saying. And, you know, it's, I, w- I don't want to say it's easy, but, you know, I don't want to say it's that tough, but, you know, you, you do miss out on some things. You do have to make some sacrifices. You got to be, you got to be self-disciplined, um, you know, because it's, it's really all on you. You know, your parents can tell you one thing, you know, your coaches, your friends, they can tell you one thing like, oh man, you can really do this. But it, it comes down to you and what you, re- what you really want, you know, at the end of the day. So I think the biggest thing is just having a, you know, a good support system around you that, you know, have the same goals as you. And, uh, and that's what I have. And, you know, I feel my parents, they both, uh, they both support me and what I want to do. And if this wasn't what I want to do, they would support me a hundred percent, but it is. And they understand that. And they, uh, you know, like I said, I have a great support system. It just makes my job easier at the end of the day. A common theme we've had talking to some of the most successful former athletes and parents, it's, it's kid driven, it's parent supported, right? If it's the other way around, you're setting yourself up for massive, you know, massive failure. So take me back a little bit, Malachi. So when you're a young kid, your dad says you're five years old. You could always throw a football. You could always throw a baseball. All right. So right now, of course, you're, you know, a prominent five-star fo- high school football player, but take us back now, Pop Warner, young, you know, you're younger, you're playing with your middle school, elementary school. Are you playing multiple sports? Are you focusing? Like, when did you start focusing on football? Are you still playing other sports? Like sports specialization is, is such a, 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 a 
big topic in the youth space right now because no one's really quite sure how to navigate it. If you want your child to ever excel at one thing, parents are kind of in this train of thought where if we don't put all of our eggs in this basket, it's going to be hard to keep up with other people who do make those decisions and vice versa. If I want my kid to be well-rounded, is he going to be a jack of all trades and a master of none? So in your family, what were your parents' advice? What was your earliest years of sports memories? What was that experience like? We all know you're the quarterback and the five-star USC commit now, but like, were you the baseball player, the basketball player? Were you running track? Were you playing in the backyard pickup games? Like, what was your youth sports experience like leading up to high school? Yeah, no, that's a, a great question. I mean, I, I was telling somebody about this, uh, you know, a couple of days ago. They're like, were you always a quarterback or, you know, how does that work? And, you know, growing up, I, I, I you know, I played, like I said, played all the sports. I played football, basketball growing up, baseball, I ran a little bit of track here and there. And, you know, football wise, I always, uh, you know, I, I wanted to have the ball in my hands, I guess you could say. And, you know, I played running back my first two years. I think I, I played when I was five and six years old and that was flag. Um, so we played flag football five and six. And then when I was seven is when uh, I started tackle. And, uh, you know, I, it just, I, I don't know what it was, but, you know, I saw the first two years we had, we had this guy and I don't know at that age, you know, how, how promising this is, but we, we had a quarterback. He, he was, he was really the quarterback and it wasn't me. So we they put me in a running back, but you know, when I was seven, I don't know if he moved up or stayed down or something like that, but uh, you know, they, they want to play quarterback. Sure. You know, I, I tried it out. And since then you know, I, I haven't, haven't switched. Um, you know, a girl, I feel after that, I played a couple more, uh, you know, years of defense or whatever it was, but you know, it, it came down to, you know, when I think when I was up 12 years old, started playing quarterback and that was it. I mean, that was, that was it. That was, I don't need to stop playing football. And I just played quarterback at that point, really. And that's all I had to focus on. Um, I loved it. You know, I, I, re I really did. And I, I do to this day. Um, I, I don't want to, I, I can imagine playing any other position really. Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's done so many things for me in my life and, you know, to get me to the point that I'm at. Um, it's, it's, it's really crazy. It's so important to hear you say, like, I just think it's so good. And again, you got to the point where it was time to kind of focus in on your craft and really fine tune it. Cause that was where your true passion and love was, but you had the opportunity to find that passion and love because you were exposed to a lot of different sports. What we see so often down here is, you know, parents want to make that decision at such a young age and maybe their kids hadn't yet experienced the sport that was truly their passion. And and no one knew. And now all of a sudden they're a 15, 16 year old kid and they're in high school and they've settled on one particular sport. It's not their love. And then the term burnout and the kid kind of gives up on it. So I just think it's so important. You cast a wide net, you found your love, you found your position, you found your passion. And then you said, all right, I'm 12, 13 years old. I'm going to make this my full-time commitment and I'm going to go forward with it. I think it's really interesting. And it, and it kind of leads me to my next question for you, Eric. I, I came across a, an article that, that you were quoted in and you dove deep and the headline was along the lines of the cost of raising a, a blue chip five-star quarterback. I don't know if you remember this article it was from a few years, uh, maybe a year or so ago. I read that, you know, you telling the story, how there was this inland empire ducks. Is, is that the team back home? Do I have that name? Right. JT yeah. Daniels and Bryce young. I mean, names that people remember, you know, people that know right now are prominent um, college quarterbacks. And, you know, you had the opportunity to play there and, and you had trainers that are charging over hundred, two hundred $200 a session. And you guys as a family just made the decision or, or, you know, had to make decision, whatever the case may be, where that was not going to be your path. You were going to coach Malachi as much as you could. He was going to continue to play local pop Warner for his local town. Just, just give us an idea of you know, what, you know, what that decision-making process did your family feel any of the pressure of like, 
these other kids are doing it. If we don't do it, is Malachi falling behind? Were you always confident in Malachi and confident in your family's ability to maybe take an alternate route that some of the other, you know, so-called star quarterbacks in California were taking? Like, I, I just, I found that article to be fascinating. And, and the part about your family was one of the articles, you know, it was a bunch of kids interviewed and, you, and you're stuck out. Yeah, no, I do remember that. And for us, you know, trying to raise our kids to do hard things and not take the easy path and not that any of those paths were easy, but, you know, um, like you said, the pedigree of Bryce Young, these are guys that, you know, Malachi looks up to, trains with. Um, but for us, we just said, man, like we're going to do our own path and we're going to do things our way. And it may not be the right way, but we have a plan and we're going to stick to it. And, you know, it's building, you know, something special at home and, and, you know, reps and, you know, coaching and all those types of things not deviating from that because those are, you know, travel teams and we had neighborhood kids that built something special and, you know, put the city on the map. So for us, it was like, man, like leaving, um, it just, it didn't feel right. It just, what we were doing and what he played. And again, one of the things I'm probably most, you know, impressed with Malachi and our path and our journey is he played for one youth football organization his whole life from the time he was five years old to the time he was 14. Um, he's going to be at one high school his whole time and where we live in the climate, it just doesn't happen. And so, um, you know, I was a military guy. And so it's like honor, commitment, those types of things, building, doing the difficult things and building something, your own lane. And that's what he's been able to do. And, and, uh, but you're absolutely right. I did feel the pressure. Um, every night I would think, man, am I doing the right thing? Should I put him on that map? Should I put him on that team where people can see him? Because I would always hear locally, you know, he's just a Pop Warner kid because the other league was unlimited weight. They traveled to other states. And so Malachi was the good Pop Warner kid in the eighth grade all those times. Oh, that one Pop Warner kid. Oh, that one Pop Warner kid. And so I'm thinking, man, is he just that Pop Warner kid? But, you know, we're just going to be the best Pop Warner kid we could. And, you know, it, it worked. So, so all right, I, I find that so fascinating because I, I can relate to that so much. Uh, and I feel like all the families we talk to, there's like this eternal struggle between like, how far do you chase the competitive teams? How far do you chase traveling? And then that balance of like playing with your buddies in your hometown, which is how I grew up playing. You know, when, when I grew up playing at Grant, I am like the old guy who's saying, you know, back in the day, but there was no, dis- there was no decision. You played for your local rec basketball team. You played for your local rec football team. And the couple of the kids would be picked on some sort of travel and we'd play like local towns and, the next season you would just move over, play with the same kids, but it was just a different sport. And then you went to high school. You didn't pick a high school. Your, your address was on a piece of paper and it told you what high school you went to. And you just kept the ball rolling. There was no decisions. And, and again, a big inspiration behind us starting this show was there are so many decisions to make. How can we help families kind of navigate those? So I, I find that super fascinating. All right, so Malachi, when were you not just the pop Warner kid? Like, was it a camp where you, did you eventually join some sort of seven on seven team? Like when did it turn into, yeah, Malachi, he's a good player in pop Warner to like, this kid is a, is a stud. This kid's going to be a big time player in high school and, and, you know, and take that next step. Like, was there a moment that you remember or a game or did you maybe match up with one of those other prime, you know, big time quarterbacks out in California? Like what, what did that look like? Yeah, I think, um, I think the, the biggest part or kind of like my, my coming out party, whatever it was, was kind of like the summer um, of me leading into like my freshman year of high school. And after we, you know, the Pop Warner stuff was over, um, we kind of, you know, started trying to choose a high school. And 
we went around some different places and, you know, threw with some different guys. And I ended up throwing in front of some college coaches, um, you know, at one of my training sessions. And I ended up getting my first offer. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like you see kids get their first offer and you all, you see like a, you know, like a snowball effect, like everything just starts rolling in. Right. And, you know, that happened. And, you know, at that point I went into my freshman year and I remember the broadcasts of our games, like, Oh, they have this freshman he's offer. And it's like, he has, he's proved nothing. Um, and that, that kind of, uh, kind of stayed with me. I mean, for, for, for a while until almost my junior year, I would say, cause you know, my freshman year, I, I split time with the guy and I did well, got a couple more offers. And again, I had some big time offers and it was all off of more of like a, you know, maybe he could be this or maybe he could be that. And I, I still felt inside I had something to prove. And then my sophomore year, I was, I was ready to go. I was the guy. And then, uh, COVID kind of hit. So I, COVID was, you know, it was a, you know, a shaky time. We only played six games. I actually did good that year. I, I ended up getting, winning uh, Gatorade player of the year of California. So that was as big. a sophomore. Yeah. As a sophomore, wow. that, that was crazy. I mean, I, I was up nationally for the national Gatorade player year against guys like Jackson Dart and you know, yeah. some other, other of these guys, you know, are, are big. Another USC guy. kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I was like as a sophomore, right? And then still, it was like I, I didn't play a full season, and I just felt like I, I really needed to do something. And last year, I think we did good. You know, I think I thought it was a solid, you know, consistent year, and we ended up losing two games, I believe, to you know, to some, some solid teams out here. Um, went lost in the first round of the playoffs, and probably the toughest bracket um, playoff bracket in the nation. Um, you know, with two top ten teams in the nation. Um, so it, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough road, but, you know, I think next year and, you know, all those, those wounds, you know, they kind of, they kind of help you, you yeah. know, for this, for this last run and, you know, it's going to be, it's gonna be exciting. So I'm, I'm ready to go. Do, who was your first offer? Do you remember? It was Auburn. Yeah. Coach Dillingham. Not a bad, Auburn and, not uh, a bad start. Yeah. Yeah. I, you, you never, I've told this, I've told this story on here before. So similar, similar to you, you know, I, so when I was growing up and, and again, our, our viewers know this about me. My, my dad was our high school football coach. So he coached, we went to just like a public school in, in town of Northern New Jersey. My dad was a high school football coach for 40 years. I had an older brother that went on to university of Notre Dame as a quarterback. He finished at Virginia. I have a younger brother that started at Miami and finished at, at UNC Charlotte. So like I've, I'm familiar with this quarterback world. For some reason, I was not given the path of the quarterback. I, I always, I still like hold it against my dad to this day. I don't know how the hell I ended up being the guy playing tight end and my two brothers got to be quarterbacks, but that's a conversation for another day. But my, my dad took us down to our first ever college camp. We had never been outside of the state of New Jersey. We were playing public school ball in New Jersey and it was fine. I mean, we, there was a, each team had a couple good kids, but it was by no means, California, Florida, Texas. And um, my dad took us down to the university of Miami. So this was like 2000. This was like, they were Alabama. You, I mean, they were loaded. And he took us down. Butch Davis was the coach and they were the first team to offer. They were the first school to offer me and my brother. And I remember that was really the first moment. You know, I was a rising 10th grader. He was a rising 11th grader, you know, skinny little kid out of New Jersey that thought I was good. But like you said, Eric, was I good or was I like North Jersey public school? Good. I didn't, you know, you don't know until you see what else is out there. And, and, and like you said, Malachi, from that point on, it kind of says, all right, it took that little bit of confidence, right? It took that one school to like validate, like there's something there. And even though you knew it, the second you got that first one, did you feel yourself standing a little taller? You almost feel like, all right, all this work. And you almost, it almost propelled you at like an epic rate. 
Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, you, I think that, that that's another choice or decision that you have to make. Cause you know, a lot of kids, they get their first offer and they're like, I'm, you know, I'm good. You know, I'm good. I don't got to, I don't got to train no more. I, I made yeah. it right. That was, that was not my mindset at all. Um, so I, I felt that I just had to, you know, I had to keep pushing. That was not at all what I had, you know, envisioned. Obviously it was, it was a great validating experience, but you know, I wanted so much more. And uh, I just, you know, I felt like that from that day forward, it kind of kickstarted me to like, you know what, I can, I can really do this. Cause you know, I, never really knew it was it was, it was uh i knew i was good but yeah, it was, yeah am i that good you know so you never really yeah I mean, that's what's so crazy games. about high school yeah. that's what's so crazy about high school is you don't know what's out there until you go see it exactly exactly and i mean i, I remember i was playing video games um and my dad came in my room and told me <laughs> i got an offer from auburn and i'm like what world like you know, <laughs> it's unbelievable game, like <laughs> i'm like a kid still me? right and then me? it finally yeah, yeah. It finally you're out. probably what 16 16 years old 15 16, 16 whatever 16, you are yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a humbling experience for sure. Yeah. Eric, Eric, one more thing before we, I want to just dive in in a second. We're going to go into the recruiting landscape a little bit and how that's changed. But one more thing, Eric, before we do, I, I know we touched on it earlier, but you spent a lot of time coaching Malachi, you know, in, in this, in this era, there's quarterback coaches and specialists and gurus, especially out in California. There's probably one every block coaching high school kids, pros, college kids at, at every level. But you, you spent a lot of time coaching Malachi when he was younger. What was that process like? Like, again, playing for my dad, now coaching my kids. The balance of coach slash instructor and dad, to me, is always a very delicate balance, right? There's moments where it's amazing and it's time with your kid. But there's also times where I'm sure for both sides, there's a lot of stress and there's a lot of anxiety and there's a lot of pressure. So, you know, what was the experience like for you when it was time to coach Malachi and not just be his father? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think one of the, it was, obviously very, very awesome and an amazing experience. That's how we got to spend together. And it, I think some of the difficult times was when he first began to play quarterback because I was a dad and I didn't want my son to be a quarterback. And so, you know, the quarterback, he has the ball, those mistakes. And so early on, I just felt like, man. And so I was actually honestly tougher on him as a quarterback. I'm naturally tough on quarterbacks, but now he's my son. I wanted to overcompensate and just didn't want people to think I was daddy balling when no he was doubt. Best. So I remember a couple of times, like, you know, my wife had to talk to me and, you know, I was just being that typical crazy guy. And, and Malachi was kind of confused because he's like, he doesn't yell at me at home, but he yells at me at the field. Like, like it was just kind of like this, this, this crazy dichotomy that was taking place. But, you know, I, I think that was probably the difficulty or the, the ugly um, and the bad, but the good part was, you know, just, you know, a lot of guys are just not teaching the game the right way. And again, I'm no, you know, coach there by any means, but we really taught fundamentals and technique and just really the mental aspect of the game, just really, you know, any kid can play physical football, but there's so much of a mental, which I think I really instilled in him at an early age, like, man, this game is 90% mental. And so really figuring out, re looking, scanning, having a clue, you know, it's going to, you know, propel you. So, it was fun, you know, and obviously just being able to game plan and watch film with him at a, at an early age. And just, so it was, it was some of the memories I'll, I'll hold on to. Forever. Yeah, no, no, I'm, I'm coaching, I'm coaching my kids. And, uh, I, I have hearing you say it, like, just brings me back. It, it might, the wife talks get tough when your wife's like, <laughs> Hey, we need to talk about practice at a game today. And you kind of know what's coming. Cause you've been thinking about it since the moment happened. You're like, you're right. Like I took it too far. I just, you just like live and die with their success and your, your, your expectations. And, you know, and I always say to my kids, I'm like, 
the second you tell me this is not what you want, we can do something else. But if you tell me you want to be good and you tell me you want to play sports or you want to make this particular travel team or you want to make this camp or you want to play tackle football, my, my 10-year-old son's going to finally play tackle. I, we've been holding off because I, I was playing and I wasn't around. And I just wanted to make sure I could you know, ensure that you had a good first experience playing you know, local Pop Warner ball. And I'm like, well, if you want to do this, then I'm going to show you how to do it. You might not like it. You might not like the commitment. You might not like the sacrifice. You might not like the work that gets put in. And if you don't, then don't sit here and say you want to do it because you don't get to have you don't get to have it both ways. For sure. And I think that's one of the things that even Malachi said, like whatever he wanted to do, we would support. But I told him whatever we're going to do, we're going to do it 100 percent. Like I just ask for your best. Like I don't care if Malachi wanted to be a chef. I would get him the best pastry, pastry chef coach, yeah. you know, and he, he could do no whatever doubt. he wanted to do. And it's like, it's funny. We have a younger son as well. And he's like, I want to play quarterback. And I'm like, uh, I don't think you really, really do. Cause it's not <laughs> fun. It's not, you know, so he, he went to a couple trainings and he's like, man, dad, I was out there for an hour and a half. I didn't even throw a ball. Uh, this isn't that fun. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, if you're going to do it, you got to love it. And after every year I'd say, buddy, you sure you want to do this? You want me to sign you up again? It's time to sign up. He's like, okay, if you're going to do it, let's do it. Let's be the best. And that's something he grabbed a hold on because now, you know, some of the things that, you know, I think Malachi's strongest attributes, one is his intelligence. I think that separates him apart from any high school quarterback, but also just his, his competitive edge. Like he, he wants to be the best and we just instill that. If you're going to do something, be the best student, be the best, everything. Don't do anything halfway. Nope. Can't do anything halfway, man. Halfway gets you beat and half-assed leads you to be disappointed at I, I just love your whole approach to it. And, and I, I couldn't agree with it more. I, I want to transition a little bit into the, into the recruiting process. And again, it's a very different landscape and you're going to be in, like we said, you're the first active amateur player. That's, you know, I know you're committed to USC, but you're kind of still in that world. So I think it's going to be really, really good perspective to kind of share with our viewers. So you were committed to Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley. We all know the big story, the big shock of college football this year. Following the season, he goes to USC. You end up changing your commitment, and you and and you're going to go with him now to USC. Stay in California, stay close to home. Great situation, obviously, with what he's building there. You know, what was your first interaction with Lincoln Riley? So obviously, you you went, you were committed to him at Oklahoma. Like, when did that recruitment start? You know, what was your first interaction? What was your first memory? What was your first impression of him? I, I remember he recruited my younger brother when he was the offensive coordinator at East Carolina. And I remember my dad and brother leaving that visit, you know, this was years back and they're like, man, they got the, the head coach was great. We liked the school, but man, this offensive coordinator is a stud. And I was like, who is it? They're like, his name's Lincoln Riley. And now obviously he's a household name. So what was your first impression and first experience when you, when you first met Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it goes back to my freshman year. Um, kind of like what I was saying earlier, I had a few offers and I, I had picked up some big ones like, you know, Alabama, Georgia, Oregon, and Auburn, uh, Ohio State, and that was you know during my freshman season. Um, and he he like I got connected with him through some coaches, and he's like, yeah, I watched your film. You know, you're you're good. <laughs> you know, maybe you might be, you might be able to play. And that was it. Like, like he dropped off the face of the earth for like a while. Like, and he's like, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep uh you know watching you, and you know we'll stay in touch. And we did. I mean, we talked every once in a while, and I was like, man, is he like? Like me, I can't tell. Like, is he gonna offer me? You almost get like offended. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Like everywhere, I have like every offer at this point, and you know, I was like, I was just waiting for that Oklahoma one. He was like, yeah, you know, we we like you, and 
I think it was after my sophomore year, I want to say, you know, I, I kind of, I put up some big numbers. Like I said, won the Gatorade player of the year. And he, uh, he called me and he's like, yeah, we want to offer you a scholarship. And I'm like, I mean, I appreciate it. Like, you know, that was, that was kind of validating for me. I mean, I, I, something I had worked for, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, it didn't stop at that point. I mean, I, I, I really didn't want to go there. Like I, I didn't want to go to Oklahoma. I, I loved SC. Um, and I, for some, this is obviously before, like I committed to Oklahoma. I mean, I, I loved SC. I loved staying home and, you know, I, I, I just grew closer and closer to that. And I was, I, I want to say I was this close to committing to USC, uh, to begin with. And, uh, you know, at the end of the, it, it's funny, like uh, these recruiting sites had like, they, uh, they like crystal balled me, like, which is like the predictions yeah. to Oklahoma. Like we're sitting in like our parking lot one time and Dude, I'm not going to Oklahoma. Like, why would they even? Why do they even think about that? Like, I, I don't even like that school at all. Like, they're not even in my my top five or whatever. And uh, it's funny. Like, a, a matter of months later, like I'm like, you know, I think I want to go to Oklahoma, and not because I want to go live in Norman, Oklahoma, but because you know I felt that Oklahoma and you know what it brought um, with Lincoln and the coaching staff. They, I felt they would best develop me, you know, for the next level. Um, and, uh, you know, it came and went, um, you know, that's, that's kind of what, what happened there. And, you know, some time passed by and obviously, you know, like, you know, coaching change and everything happened. And, uh, you know, at that point I kind of took a step back and I'm like, all right, you know, let's figure this thing out. But then, you know, something snapped in my brain. I'm like, this is what I was choosing between like everything that I felt I could get the development of Oklahoma and, you know, staying home, the idea of staying home. And, you know, I got them both together and I'm like, man. It's it's almost like fate. I mean, you got the school you wanted. So I'm assuming that Lincoln Riley and and his track record with producing quarterbacks, number one overall picks. I mean, his track record, Heisman Trophy winners. I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to realize that's. I mean, that's obviously the big draw at Oklahoma. No. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that's something that I wanted. You know, I felt, you know, from a younger age, I kind of understood and viewed college as like a stepping stone. To you know, it's one step close to my dream, and uh, I wanted to go somewhere where. You know, I'd be able to have fun and, you know, do all yeah. the things, you know, a normal person would do. But, of course, uh, you know, at the same time, you know, focus on my craft and what I really, you know, the, the main goal um, really yeah. that we're talking about. And, yeah, I felt that that was the best place for me. And, you know, his pedigree and what he had done with quarterbacks before, um, you know, kind of spoke for itself. And at the end of the day, I felt comfortable. And, you know, now it's, you know, switched over uh, across the country. But it's, it's the same thing, the same development. And, you know, we've talked and it's funny, like people, they try to say like, oh, did he tell you like before you left? And I'm like, no, like I, I had no clue. And you know, I, I remember decommitting like the same day um, from, from Oklahoma. Like when, so the news broke and I was like, all right, I'm done. Like I'm, I'm decommitting, decommitted the same day. And I mean, two days later after I had chopped it up with him and I'm like, you know, should I wait? Like, should, you know, should I just commit now? And he's like, man, let's get this ball rolling. Like, you know what I'm saying? And like, we had a, uh, we had, we had a good class going at Oklahoma and I'm like, man, let's, you know, let's, let's get this thing going here at SC. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, we, we've got a couple other commits now and, you know, we're rolling, we're trying to put together one of the, the best classes, you know, ever. And, uh, I think we, I think we can. And, you know, I, I keep telling people it's a lot easier to, to recruit kids to come, uh, come live in Southern California than it is to go, go live in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah. No, it's not bad in Miami and it's not too late. So I'm just throwing yeah. that out there. If, uh, <laughs> if it's, if it's not too late, the USC people are going to kill me, but I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. Just chew on <laughs> it. I can call Crystal ball and gotcha. we can uh, make that happen. Kidding. Um, Eric. So he, so obviously, so Lincoln leaves, he's, he's going to Oklahoma, Lincoln leaves. And he's, I'm assuming he says, Hey dad, you know, we got to talk. I, I'm reconsidering my thoughts. 
I, re- I, I called my dad from the university, from Notre Dame. I was, a, I was a freshman there. I had always wanted to go to Miami. I had an older, my older brother, Chris, he, he went in the, the recruiting class before me. Tyrone Willingham had just taken the job. They had a great year. So my brother commits to them. So I'm kind of on the fence, kind of like you, Malachi. I'm on the fence. I, I really, my heart's at Miami, but the idea of playing with my brother and, and going with my family and whatnot, I met a bunch of the kids. We'd go to a bunch of the Notre Dame games my senior year in high school. So I follow my brother there. I'm halfway through training camp. I'm like, this isn't for me. I want to go to Miami. I remember calling my dad. I was at freshman orientation. It was like the day before classes were going to start. And I'm like, dad, we got to talk. And he's like, what's up? I was like, I'm leaving. He's like, what do you mean? He's like, you just got there. I'm like, I need to go to Miami. I need you to call Larry Coker and see if they have a scholarship for me. And if they do, I'm going there. And sure enough, I packed up my thing. Me and my mom drove back to New Jersey. We waited a couple of days for the clear. At the time, you couldn't just transfer. So I was, in, I was ineligible and there was clearing house and a whole bunch of things and went down to Miami. So, so my question is, Eric, so Malachi says to you, all right, dad, I'm reconsidering Oklahoma. I, I got to take a, take a deep breath here and take a step back. What, what is that conversation like between you two? You know, I think for him, it was, it was a, little, a little crazy in the beginning. His phone started blowing up. Colleges started reaching out, friends started reaching out. And so, you know, it was, it was a perfect day. We, I remember we went out to lunch and uh, to Cheesecake Factory. And I think everything is better with cheesecake. And so, Absolutely. you know, I mean, can't I go wrong we just, there. We, we just started talking. And really for us, it became easy. Everything we've done, we've tried to simplify the process from a recruiting. We, we knew what we want. We, and so I just reminded him, like, it was never Oklahoma. It was all, why did we choose Oklahoma? It was Lincoln Riley. We made a dis- hard decision months prior to commit to him, his program, his culture, his development. So it, it's an easy decision. Honestly, I just, if Lincoln would have went to TCU or SMU or Rhode Island University, we would have went. It was never about a university. It was about that guy and that man, that staff. So once I reminded him, like, hey, it's easy. We committed to Lincoln Riley, which People may not like that. Oklahoma fans, you know, boomer sooner. Again, I'm, I, we love that. But, you know, for us, it was always what's best for him and using Absolutely. university as a step zone. So it was easy. Honestly, for me, it was easy. Hey, bud, it's an easy decision. You, you, without him there, we're not going there. So it's easy. Let's, let's keep it simple. We already made a hard decision. Let's do it. Yeah. And, and you had the luxury of it wasn't like you had already signed your letter of intent. You weren't on campus and he left after your freshman year it was no harm, no foul, right? I mean, it was a verbal commitment. Obviously that means something, but at the end of the day, your obligation is to your son is to your family and it's to his future. And I don't think, yeah, I'm sure Oklahoma people, they're not so much mad at Malachi as much as they are, as they lost a five-star quarterback, right? It's not personal. They're, they're fans they, and they, they yeah. should be mad. If, if they weren't mad, that means you probably weren't that good. <laughs> you know what sure, I mean? Like, sure. but, um, so I, and I'm, I'm curious here, Malachi, when, when you call Oklahoma, like how, how do you let them know that you're no longer committed? I, I always, my, my dad used to make us call every single coach and it was the worst day ever. When we, when we had a call and I remember I, I had to call the university of Tennessee, Phil Fomer, Florida state with Bobby Bowden called Miami at the time to tell him I wasn't coming call Larry Coker. Like those were the hardest calls. Cause you, you grew so close with the staff, the coaches, the you know, personnel people. H- how was that conversation when you, when you called Oklahoma following Lincoln's departure to let them know you were going to reconsider your recruitment? You know, I'm assuming that must've been a difficult call for an 18 year old kid to make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was obviously a, a weird time. And uh, yeah. day, 
at that time they didn't even really have a coach. Right. So it, it was a, I don't even remember. I think my dad kind of elaborate on it more. And he, he kind of, they, I think they reached out to him. Got it. Um, after I had, I had decommitted. And, yeah. Cause who are you going to decommit to? Right. They didn't. Yeah. It wasn't just me. You know, there was a lot. We had, I yeah, mean, of course. We had up to maybe six or six, seven, yeah, eight. Mitch, of course. Um, and I'd say three of them or so kind of decommitted that same day. And it was quick. It was like, he was gone. And, I, I remember I had texted Lincoln. I was like, I need to hear it from you. Like, I don't believe, I don't want to believe I need to hear it from you. And he was like going through like the whole, like, you know, the, the, the trading, you know, kind of thing or whatever it was. And he couldn't text me back at that time. And, you know, he ended up like texting me back when he finally could, um, you know, yeah. later that night. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I wanted to tell you, but obviously I couldn't. I mean, you're talking about a lot, a lot of money. I mean, of course, businesses, you can't just, yeah. you know talk about those things but uh i think my dad could kind of elaborate more on like how how they kind of came uh to him and kind of trying to be like hey like we still want you kind of thing so uh, i kind of let him talk about that I yeah think. yeah so i think the neat thing back you know from what your experience was social media so everything's done through twitter and so you know he puts together a nice you know uh decommitment put it out there publicly for them and you know, um, cause really the whole staff was gone. Right. Yeah. So there was no administration. We didn't really know, but we just wanted to put it out and, you know, let it be clear. And then once the smoke started settling, um, somebody in the recruiting department reached out and said that we would like to, um, coach, uh, you know, they had a coach come in as an intern, yep. uh, interim, uh, situation, try to keep everything together. And, um, he said he would like to reach out and get you guys on a zoom and, and at that point, like, you know, we did a really good job of being open and honest with people. We never wanted to, you know, Malachi had all these offers. Like he was open with coaches like, hey, coach, thank you so much. I'm honored. I'm flattered. But he didn't want to lead people on. We just didn't want to treat people the wrong way. So we didn't have to have many conversations because we knew, you know, we only kind of dated one girl at a time. So that that helped. But they wanted to get our family on a Zoom. And I just said, hey, rather than the family, like you don't even know my family. Right. And ultimately, I knew they were going to try to recruit him and try to pitch it to him. And I just don't want to complicate a young kid's mind. He'd already just gone through this whirlwind. I said, if coach wants to talk, I obviously, I know we have to have a tough conversation. We just decommitted from the university. So if coach wants to talk, you know, we can communicate and, um, you know. Yeah, great. So, yeah. So it was at that point, they were <laughs> coach. Once coach knew that, you know, yeah. it was done, he didn't want to communicate. He had other things to do. He had to go. Yeah, of know, course. And full game. It's, th those situations are never easy, right? And then there's no playbook. You, and again, you always have to keep the best interest. You said it best. You have to keep the best interest of your child in the moment, which was a very complicated time. You have to keep that at the forefront. And if people can't respect that, and if people can't see see what the reason behind that, then that's more of a them problem than a you problem. The question everybody wants to know, Malachi, is we we all saw the house that Lincoln bought. I mean, is he going to have you guys over? Like, do you guys go over there and, and sit by the pool? Like, I, I just want to know what that house looks like. That <laughs> house is insane. Have you, I mean, can we get a pool party? Can we get a barbecue? Can we get something going? No, I'm not to call him up. We're, you guys are all invited, man. Please, I, I'm I in. Even been there yet. That house was sick. It is. Yeah, <laughs> I can see. I can see why he left Norman Oklahoma <laughs> for that. <laughs> yeah, that was part of the. Uh, well, you know, one one more thing, and and I always find this interesting, and and typically it's for guys that are entering the draft, especially quarterbacks, right? There's always a magnifying glass over draft classes. And then, you know, not only so much comparing their NFL careers as much as a lot of these guys follow each other. They become friends. They kind of are rivals slash friends and they kind of hold each other. That's the barometer. They compare themselves. 
well, obviously you're in a class with a very prominent other quarterback, right? Arch Manning, you two are regarded as the, as the top guys in the class could have gone to any school in the country. Like, will you always like in the back of your mind as a competitor, is there any element of keeping an eye on not only him, but the other, the other quarterbacks in your class when they go off to school, comparing and contrasting situations? Are you one of those people that it's just like block that out has nothing to do with me? Like focus, like how do you kind of look and like, what are your relationships like with the other top quarterbacks in the class and how will you follow their progress and their development as you all go off to school next year? Yeah. You know, I, I think from, you know, from a young age, it never really, um, you know, it was never about being the, really the, the top guy or being the number one overall guy. And, you know, some of these things obviously started to happen. And, you know, my, I think my junior year or five star or whatever it was and, and all the publicity that comes with that. And, you know, it's cool. It's amazing. It's honestly, it's an honor, but you know, that was never really the, uh, it was never really the goal. I, you know, I wanted to go to college. I want to make it to the NFL. And that was really what it was. And I didn't want those things to kind of steer me in the, the wrong direction to where I couldn't focus on that, that main goal really. And, uh, I, I like you said, I, I have some, some friends and, uh, I'm close with some guys and, you know, that are top, top of the list. And Arch Manning specifically, I've never actually met him. Um, but you know, in my mind, like I have the mindset where I'm like, I'm the best guy in this class. And, you know, I, I feel like that's, I'm the only one that really needs to believe that. And uh, so I feel like I, I just want to go out there and, you know, every day I go out there with that mindset and, you know, not in my cocky way at all, yeah. or anything like that. I just feel um, I've been blessed with, you know, good coaches. I feel like I have the best coaches around and you guys that put me in positions to be great. And, you know, I just like going out and, you know, proving people wrong, uh, honestly. So I love it's it. Honestly, it's flattery to be, a, you know, at number two, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. One, always two, five. I mean, listen, None of that ma- in a year. None of that matters. Whether you were one, two, 15, a thousand, you're there, right? You're there. And that's where the journey really begins. And, and the last thing before we kind of move into the business kind of segment as, as the last with, with the NIL and all that be the last segment we kind of hit on. Give us, give us an idea right now of what your preparation looks like. What's, what's your daily routine look like? You're getting ready now. You're getting, you know, the summer will be here soon. You know, obviously you guys will be into camp for a big senior year. What is your day to day? Are you working with private coaches? Are you working with your buddies at school? Are you going to particular camps? Do you have any camps this summer? You're going to go to USC. Are you going to go to, you know, I'm sure you'll be invited to the elite 11 and stuff like that. Like what does that experience looking forward to your senior year? Like give us an idea of what your day, what your weeks entail as you prepare for your senior year. Day to day basis, depending on the day of the week, um, you know, I'd I'm lifting at the school with the team and, you know, sometimes we'll throw. Um, and then, you know, after that, I'll usually go over to a private coach to, to get another private lift in. Um, and then after that, you know, either some treatment or, you know, just go home and have, you know, I like to have save some time, you know, for family. And some days I'm, you know, I'm lifting and then lifting again and then throwing and then throwing again. And then, you know, some days where it's just maybe it's one lift, one throw or, you know, something like that. And, you know, space it out throughout the week, make sure my, you know, my body's getting worked on and, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it's, it's a, like, again, it's a, it's a, it's a busy time. I can't exaggerate that enough, but you know, it's, it's fun time at the same time. And I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying every second of it. I don't, I don't like to, you know, the the goal or anything of these people talking all the the publicity to get in the way of, you know, just having fun at the end of the day. And, you know, know, looking at that, that light, that, uh, that goal at the end of the tunnel. I think it's cool to hear that you're still so, and again, this is the way it should be in my opinion, but you're still so engaged with your high school team. I mean, you very easily 
in the off season could be doing everything in the private sector, trainers, coaches, you know, out where you live, there's one on every block, right? And you could be at any high end training facility, any personal coach working on your own. But I just think it's so important. And it sounds like you already know this, that for your teammates, so this is going to be the, the end. This is going to be the biggest football season of their lives, right? This is probably where it all is going to end. And I think for them to see you around and for them to see that, yeah, you have bigger things ahead of you than high school football. But for right now, this year, it's just as important to you as it is to them. I just think it's so important for them to see that. So, so to hear that you're still at the team lifts, work thrown with your high school receivers. I, I just think that's a great leadership quality that I'm sure if we asked all your teammates on your team, they'd be like, yeah, man, it's awesome having Malachi around. Like it just, it, it makes them know that you prioritize them and that you value this season and that you, it's not, it's not a throwaway kill time because I can't wait to get to USC. So I, I, I commend you for that. I think that's super I think that's super cool. Yeah, no, I, I never wanted to, to get to the point where, you know, they, they look at me as that cocky guy or some people do. I mean, they, they see me as a stuck up guy and that's not at all who I am, but you know, the outside looking in, that's, I mean, you know, that could very easily be yeah. portrayed. You know, I understand that, but you know, you get to W I'm, I'm nothing like that. And I like to, you know, I like to go back to, you know, to, I, mean, I like to spend time with my team. I mean, cause that's, that's really my team. You know, if I understand that some of these people, I mean, this season could be their last football season ever playing football. Right. And, you know, I, I don't take that likely. I don't want to like mess up their season. I don't want it to be my fault that, you know, they never got to play a football game again, just because, you know, selfishly, I know that I, I'm going to go on and play. Yeah. Um, so I never wanted to, you know, to be that guy. And, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I have a, a great guy, a group, group of guys and we have a great team and, you know, it's really a family. It makes my job easy and it's fun to, you know, to be around those guys and, you know, chop it up with them. And, you know, I like to surround myself with people that kind of, you know, ground me and, you know, remind me that, you know, I'm, I'm nothing, you're nothing too big, you know, you're nothing like that. And, you know, remember who you are, remember, you know, the, the priorities again, and, you know, just, just kind of roll with life. I mean, you know, day, take it day by day, you know, like I said, again, I hit those priorities and, you know, go from there. I think that's super cool, man. I, it, I'll tell you right now, and you're going to go on to big things and hopefully national titles and Super Bowls. I hope, I wish it all for you you will always remember your high school senior year always with your buddies, with kids you grew up with kids you've battled with kids. You I'm telling you, I can remember walking off the field with my buddies after my senior year, like it was yesterday. So I promise you enjoy this season because you only get one senior year and then it turns into a, you know, you think it's a business now you wait, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, which, which I think is a great segue to our, our last segment. I'm going to start with you, Eric, you, you, you mentioned at the top of the, of the, of the show, you know, with this NIL world really changing the landscape. I mean, when I was, when I was in school, we couldn't get, we couldn't get a $50 check to go have cheeseburgers without the NCAA. I actually got called into the compliance office my, my last year because at my college graduation, our school president, Donna Shalala at the time, she, I was in the, I was in the line to buy a, one of those like tassels, you know, that you wear around your gown that had like the U on it or something. And I had no cash and she was behind me in line. It was like, $20 or something. She's like, don't worry. We'll catch up later here. And like, she just, she put it down there and I walked away. I got called into the compliance office because I got a $20 tassel or whatever the hell they were like satchel around my neck. Now we have kids signing, you know, multi six figure deals, NIL deals, obviously quarterbacks are at the front of it. So Eric, I just love to hear from a, from a parent perspective, what that process has been like, you know, you're fielding calls from agents and marketing guys. And that was unheard of for high school kids, but now it's the norm. 
you, you have no choice. You're operating in the, in the environment that you were dealt. And again, there's a balance between leveraging it and taking advantage and, and promoting your child and also protecting them, right? There's a lot of bad out there with the good. So I would just love to hear, and our viewers would love to hear, you know, what that experience has been like. How do you handle it? How do you balance that? I, I just find it a very fascinating world. It really is. And it's a blessing because, I mean, this is America, you know, I mean, it should be an open market, free market kids should be able to, you know, it's, it's, so I, I love the freedom, you know, again, it's, there's some good, there's some bad, they're ugly, but you just can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. So I know people aren't positive, but these guys are working, you know, Malachi downplays his work, but the guy's up at six o'clock and he doesn't get home till nine o'clock. And in the midst of all of his athletic stuff, he's taking three college classes right now to graduate early. So the guy puts in more hours than I do. And, and, and so, I mean, I think, you know, to be compensated for the work and the effort, I mean, I think it's only right and fitting. So it's a blessing for these kids that have those opportunities. It's fun and it's amazing. But for us, you know, it is midst of the craziness. It's a blessing that he can, you know, we're a single income family, you know, we're, we're, you know, God has blessed us and we're good, but by no means are we living extravagant and those types of things. I think, you know, it's it's just really cool that he can, you know, buy himself some things that we can't. I think it's so funny. I remember one time we were getting ready to go out to dinner and uh, I was like, well, hey, let's go here. We're going to take the whole family. He's like, well, uh, don't worry. I'll I got it. I got it. So, Malachi, like, you got to make sure you have your wallet. You always make sure you have your wallet. <laughs> Every once in a while. Sometimes I'll yeah, forget Sometimes it. you forget it. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that trick. I know that trick. It, it's, been a, it's been a blessing. But for us, you know, we, again, his goal is to be in the NFL and I don't want to do any deals, any business that's going to hinder his brand, but only that's going to help. And so we're being really strategic and patient money. And I just told all my kids, we don't do anything motivated out of money. We do everything out of love. Right. And so it's like, you know, then you're just going to be, you know, chasing money, chasing money. No, we're chasing the dream. And so, um, you know, if the deal doesn't make sense, if it doesn't make right, if it's not going to help you, it's not going to build your brand. If it's not going to be a positive thing, if it might water down the brand down the road, let's just let's just wait. Or if it's not worth it, like I believe my son's going to be the number one draft pick, and I believe he's going to be a Heisman winner. I think he's going to be great. And so if that's if he's up here and the deal's down here, it's like we're not just going to take it for for the money. And it's okay. And those are hard. We've had to walk away from yeah. some deals, and um, it just didn't work both ways. I'm not. I always tell him, Malika, you're going to dictate your worth, right? the way people talk to you, the way people, you know what I mean? So it's like, if you don't think you're worth that, not in a cocky way, it's just, you know, um, we're, yeah. we're, we don't have if to you do don't place, If you don't place value on yourself, nobody will. Exactly. Right? That's, that's just the way it goes. And that, that's no different than how guys approach contracts in the NFL. No one, yep. no team or coach should have a higher value on you than yourself. So I, I completely get that. Now, how, as far as in the recruiting process, so just educate us a little bit, like how involved are the schools you know, I, I'm familiar with a little bit down at Miami and some of the other schools where I know some of the coaches. So how involved are the schools for putting these packages together for high level recruits like Malachi? Are they, are they involved in these meetings? Are you guys kind of doing this on the periphery on your own? Yeah. And then you're letting the school know, like, for what sure. is that relationship between all those parts look like? So I, I will tell you to answer the question first. Yes. Colleges are leveraging this space to be, and I love that, right? I mean, I think we've seen a big time recruit, top five guy, maybe go to a school that would never have the opportunity to land a kid like that prior to NIL. But now, yeah. you know, I think it just opens Dion at Jackson up. State, right? I mean, De yeah. Dion just got one of the top kids in the class. Yeah, Dion gets a five star at you know a, at a Jackson. Like yeah. That. So I, I think that's the beauty of it. So colleges are absolutely doing that. 
for us, we've done everything private. Um, you know, we have an amazing team behind us that brings us things like that. And um, I could honestly say, which is it's funny, people will never believe this, but we have never had one conversation with USC about um, finances and packages and those types of things. I'm sure they're going to come, but for us, you know, again, it's not the motivation, it's not the money. We're going to USC because Lincoln Riley is the guy that we believe is going to get our son um, to college. Now, the NIL, the perks, all the stuff that comes with USC. I did hear that a lot of college universities have millionaires on their sidelines. USC has billionaires, so yeah, they, I, I look forward to those conversations. They're fine. I think yeah, there's plenty. I think, I think there's know. plenty of money to go around. I think uh, I think they're going to be fine. That's what I hear. <laughs> and, and and the one thing I would say, and I, and I don't need to tell you this because I can just tell by talking to you guys that you are very deeply rooted and you guys have a great perspective. But you will, if you play and you play well and you pour your life into being the best quarterback possible, you will make money a hundredfold more down the line. Right. I think where kids are getting into trouble is they're making decisions based on the money as the as the leading factor. And then they're maybe not in the best case. They might make the most in the next 12 months, 14, you know, 16 months in the recruiting process, but then they end up at the wrong place. Their career stalls, their development stalls, and then there's no end game, right? Yeah. There's no reason you shouldn't make as much as you can in the time being, but you'll never make enough in NIL to sacrifice being the number one overall draft pick. You're absolutely right. And it's not even, go ahead. No, please. I was going to say, and it's not for us. I've been able to be surrounded by some good guys who've kind of mentored me. One Caleb Williams dad at, at you know, yeah, USC. Of course. Guy who yeah. So for, for Eric, he said, look, it's not even about the number one draft pick, which is great. Don't get me wrong. He goes, Eric, you got to be focused on the second contract. That is where he's going to make buku bucks. And so it's like, when we have that thing, like, yeah, eight, 10, 15, whatever, don't get me wrong. When you don't have any millions, that, that's, yeah, that's of course. Great. But when you're talking second contract, you have the opportunity to sign five to $800 million deal. Yep. And so that's, you know, I mean, I just keep telling Malachi, like, keep being the best guy. You get, you get drafted. That's going to be great. Guaranteed money. But then it's not done. That second oh, contract just getting is started. You your kids, 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 kids life. Absolutely. And, and it, again, it's all part of the process and it seems far away, but it's going to be here before you can blink. Right. It's going to go so fast and you're going to all of a sudden be a, so, a sophomore at USC, a junior in USC, and they're going to start. So I'm telling you, it'll go fast. So Malachi, I, I know, I know you want to talk about it a little bit. And again, I'm fascinated by this NFT space and the NIL. And I know you guys are releasing your own NFT. I, I'd love you to tell us some more about it. Like, how does it work? What, what's it, you know, how does it work for you? How does it work for your fans that want to engage with you? I, I'd love you to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's a, uh... So we, we partnered with, uh, with this, this company named I Got It. Um, and they have some, some other big names and, you know, I'm excited about it. It's going to be a cool thing where I can kind of, you know, interact with some, some fans and followers and they can kind of buy in on, on me almost and they can kind of do some, some different things in the space. But, uh, it's going to be a cool program where, you know, you can kind of buy things where, you know, major milestones of my life or whatever it is, maybe like a game worn jersey or, you know, yeah. A time of my life where we won the championship or something like that, and along those lines, and uh, it's going to be exciting. You can actually, uh, it's that we're trying to aim for like a, a launch date of you know the middle of April, end of April, uh, you know time frame. But you can actually go on my Instagram at Malachi Nelson, and I have the link in my bio where you can kind of pre-save or pre-sign up for, um, you know, for updates and kind of you know kind of follow along with it. And uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a fun. It's one of the you know the deals that I'm really really excited about. I think it can be uh, 
really beneficial and you know exciting uh, in the coming years. Honestly, it's it's nothing that's going to you know be over after this year. It's not like a one year deal. It's going to be exciting, you know, for the years to come. And you know, uh, honestly, I mean, you know, what I do at SC and it all kind of plays into it. It's going to be fun. Good for you, man. I, I just, I just think it's so cool, right? For young kids to be in control of their own lives. You guys are what's everything that's right about this space, right? There's no greed. There's no ego. It's not, this is about a process. This is about a process for your son, your child, his future, his teammates and the experience, right? And I think sometimes what gets lost in all of this is the experience, the experience of the kid, the high school experience, the recruiting experience. This is the, this should be the best time of your life. So I think you're not asking for my advice, but if I had to give you one piece of advice, it would just be just take a deep breath sometimes and just enjoy this because it will never be better, right? Life will never be simpler. Life will never be better. You're with your family, you're with your parents, your siblings, you're with your high school buddies. The game's the simplest. It, it, there's, I'm telling you, this is the best time of your life. You have plenty of time to go be a college football player, plenty of time to go be an NFL player. Just enjoy this next six, seven months, man. Cause it's going to be over before you know it. And you don't get to redo it. Oh, that's it. Well, I definitely will. Well, you guys have been awesome, man. I got, I got, I got two more quick questions before I let you guys go. The first one I'm going to ask you, Malachi, um, you know, if, if you were talking to your peers or maybe my kids who are a little bit younger, you know, elementary school, like what would be your piece of advice from where you're sitting today in your youth sports experience? We've talked about your you know early days and now in high school and your training and your sacrifices and choices. You know, what would, what would be your big message to these kids coming behind you that you sit here as an 18 year old looking back and say, all right, man, from my perspective now, this is something you should know. Yeah, I think the. I think the thing for me and, you know, something I would tell them is, you know, to stay, stay open, be open to, you know, trying different things and, um, you know, be accepting of, you know, what people, other people think is cool or whatever people don't think is cool, you know, kind of, you know, be open and, and kind of experience different things. Cause at that age, obviously you don't really know what you want to do yet. You know, you have an idea, you know, you want to be an astronaut or a fireman or, you know, you want to do these things and, you know, it's all cool, but, you know, you know, be patient and, you know, kind of figure out what it is that you want to do. And, you know, when you figure that out, you're at an age where, you know, you and your parents can kind of, okay, like this can, this can really be a thing that you want to do. And at that point, you know, just really, you know, go all in on it. You know, don't, don't try to, you know, half step or, or do anything like that. Just stay at it and, you know, keep working, you know, whatever it is, honestly, like we said earlier, you know, you want to be a chef, whatever it is, you know, keep working a hundred percent and, you know, it'll pay off really. You know, I kind of, I think that's kind of ties into what we're seeing, you know, with the NIL space, um, you know, with a lot of athletes and, you know, all this work that they've put in their whole life, um, you know, kind of tying back in, you know, you're starting to see a little bit of a payoff and, you know, it's a cool, it's a cool thing to, to be a part of um, one, and, you know, something to kind of cool thing to kind of take a step back and, you know, look at and see as well. That's awesome. I, I that perspective, I think is so important for everybody to hear it. And Eric, I'm going to ask you the final question it kind of along those same lines I asked Malachi from the, from the parental standpoint, what would you tell parents now navigating this youth sports space, right? Everything we've covered in this conversation. Now, as you sit here as the father of a kid who's about to take that next step and go off to high college and kind of fulfill step one of his dream. Like what is, when you look back, like what is the advice you would share with families with, of younger kids navigating this world coming down the path behind you? Yeah. I always tell people it's, I think so often we make a mistake of trying to um, find our kids' passion because as parents, we want nothing more for them to be successful 
And, you know, and so we, we push them into, I think, a mistake at times into what we think success looks like for them. And you can't do it, right? And it, it's just a mistake. So you can't fake passion and you can, you know what I mean? So we always tell, I, you know, I'm blessed to be able to do what I love. And, you know, it has nothing to do with money or because we don't make a lot of it. It's none of that stuff. It's like, but when you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. And so it's like, like Malachi said, be open to finding that. And once you find your true love, your true passion, then you go for it. And so parents step back, you know, expose them to stuff, throw stuff at them. You know, every parent knows what their kid's favorite food is. How do we know that? Because we feed them a variety of food, expose them to a variety of passions and whatever that is. Once we see their light, eyes light up, just throw gasoline on that fire right there. And it may be something we hate. It may be something hey, we do not like. No doubt. Kid driven, family supported, man. That that's the ticket. Well, you guys have been awesome. I, and Malachi, I have, I have no doubt that we're going to see big things from you, man. I, I wish you nothing but success in your senior year. Again, I hope you love it. I hope you cherish every minute. And then we'll be following you out at USC, man. You and Lincoln Riley and, and what they got brewing out there is going to be pretty special. And uh, I, we're all going to obviously be watching your career unfold. And I just appreciate both you and your father, Eric, for taking a couple minutes and joining us here on You Think. As we continue down this path of exploring what this youth sports environment looks like, well, how can we better, you know, what better principles and practices can we give families and coaches and athletes to kind of continue to move forward and have this as a positive experience and lead to the end result, which is producing well-balanced, well-intentful kids um, that find their passion and, and pursue it. So I, I appreciate you guys for taking this time. This was a huge uh, pleasure. And uh, I appreciate you both taking time to uh, hang with me tonight. No problem. No problem. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate Likewise. you guys. Thank you so much. So thank you again to Malachi and Eric for, for joining us and, and sharing their insight and sharing their perspective and experiences navigating this, as we all know, this crazy world of, of youth sports. Um, and as always, now it is time to take our audience questions. This has become, become kind of a highlight of the week. Um, we, we're going to bring Tasha back in and each week, we're getting more and more audience questions, suggestions, advice, things they want us to explore. I always look forward to seeing what kind of questions that our viewers are going to submit. So I know, Tasha, you said you have some good ones this week that, peer, that people are curious and want us to explore. So yeah, let's, let's have it. Yeah, one fan question that was interesting. They said when they were younger, they saw a lot of high school-aged kids, you know, help out with Saturday rec leagues and their summer camps. And they said growing up, those high school-aged kids were always their biggest heroes, right, when they were, you know, helping them out. And so they want to know what's the importance of getting older kids involved with the younger ones in your sports? I think this is a great question. I think there's a lot of layers to it. I think, you know, first and foremost, <laughs> and I, I think it's fun to see these kids go back and say, oh, really, that young kid, he didn't listen? He didn't do things the first time you told him to do it. Oh, that's funny because that, you know, that's, that's never you. I, every time, um, you know, any of my kids will, will go work with either their, you know, their younger, you know, siblings team, or they go work. They always come back and like, dad, the kids don't always do what I tell them. They don't listen. And I look at them. I'm like, yeah, welcome to every <laughs> single day of our lives. Now you guys. So I think there is a little bit of like reality check and they, they look at themselves and they go, wait a minute. I get it now. That's why my coach gets mad because sometimes I'm that little kid who's not paying attention. So I think all joking aside, I do think there is a little bit of that. And I do think there is this also the reinforcement of skill. If you can teach something 
that means you really have a strong understanding of it, right? Yep. There, there's always those lessons in the classroom where the really good teachers, you know, you, you remember, you know, a certain percentage of what you hear, you remember a certain percentage of what you write down, but then there's this ability to really retain information and really, and really support it. If you can get up and you can explain it and you can teach it in a way that another person, maybe they're your same age, but in this case, maybe they're a little younger and you have to find a way to communicate clearly to pass something that might come very easy to you and you've been doing for a long time. Well, now you need to pass that baton down the, down the chain and teach it in a way that's very easy for them to understand. So I think there's a really good, you know, kind of reinforcement component to having kids go work with younger kids in practice or younger kids in a camp or something like that. And then probably the biggest part of it all is I do just think there is a really good lesson in kids understanding that it's not always about you, right? They're so used to, I mean, even my kids, they're so used to it being their practice and mom and dad are spending time with them to get them better. Well, now it's, you need to take a step back and now you need to go give your time to help someone else improve and someone else learn a lesson and and realize what that sacrifice and what that time commitment means when you're serving somebody else. So I think it's a great question. I think there's a lot of different areas and a lot of different strings that we can pull from it. But I think those few off the top of my head, I think are really good lessons. And it's something that we encourage our kids to do. And we're going to continue to encourage them as they get older, go back, serve, serve other kids, reinforce maybe lessons that you haven't heard, understand what it's like to work with somebody who's not always giving you all the attention, not always paying attention to what you say, and realize, okay, well, now you know when the shoot's on the other foot, what that feels like. So I, I think um, I appreciate our our listener for submitting that question. I, I think there's a lot of really good lessons to pull from it. What when did you do that in high school? Like, did you coach other people in high school? Was that your first coaching experience? I guess. Yeah, so we did. So my dad actually ran a camp that we we still run to this day called Bat to Basics Football Camp, and he he ran it. Back in New Jersey, um, we start. I started going as uh, probably a sixth grader was the first year. It was only for kids that were not yet in high school. So the oldest kids were eighth grade all the way down to first grade. And it was a summer camp. It was a week long. So I started going. But then the high school kids, when, when you got into high school, you would come and be like a camp counselor. So my dad would get like local high school coaches. And then those coaches could each bring like one of their high school senior, you know, players to come be a counselor. And then my dad would get, you know, me and my brothers and then maybe a couple other seniors and we'd come work the camp for the week. So being around the younger kids and and teaching them, you know, not only football, but just being around them and learning how to keep them calm at lunchtime and manage the gym and manage registration and set up the equipment. Like there was a little bit of lessons that were embedded into it as I look back on it now, but it's still a camp that we run. Uh, we, we moved it down here to Charlotte, but I, uh, I remember those days as a, as a high school kid trying to wonder why these second graders didn't want to do what they were told. And <laughs> that was, it was a good, uh, it was a good lesson for things to come. That's awesome. Well, the next fan question is an interesting one. Should parents be allowed to watch practices? Ooh, yeah. that's a tough one. I know. Heavy. You know I, 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 think, I think the answer is yes. And, I, and I'll tell you why. I know sometimes parents, and, and I, we're probably all guilty of this at a time where you kind of, you, you inject yourself into situations where you probably shouldn't, or you inject yourself into your kid's experience where you otherwise shouldn't. I, I'm probably guilty of that, um, for sure. At times, the reason why I would say yes. And again, when you're talking about at the youth level, 
I think, and, and as we said last week on our bringing up segment, um, communication and ki- parents understanding expectations and parents understanding the message of the coach and what's being coached at practice, I think is super important. So I want my parents to come because, and again, there's, there's multiple, there's multiple factors. So first and foremost, I want them to be able to go home and reinforce what we're doing at practice, both from a communication standpoint, from, from our messaging, maybe some of the drill work, maybe some of the instructions that their child is struggling with or being corrected on often, or I want them to be able to go home and speak the same language and implement the exact, you know, similar messaging and communication when they're not with us at practice. So I think first and foremost, that's a huge advantage. I also think, and this is more as you get older, I think there's a lot that happens at practice that explains what happens in the games. So I think all of a sudden the parents who just show up to the game on Saturday or Sunday, and maybe the, the batting lineup or the starting five, or, you know, who starts on the, you know, the soccer field or whatever the sport is. And they're kind of taken back and they, they see other players maybe playing a larger role or a smaller role. And they don't quite understand where their child fits into the, to the pecking order, whether it's game time positions, opportunities, but they're not at practice when maybe their son or daughter is not, you know, doing things to the expectation of the other players or to the coaches or, you know, the way it works. So I, I think you can really explain what you see in the games by what happens all week in practice. And no kid is ever going to come home from practice and say, when his parents say, Hey, how'd you do? And be like, you know, I'm not really doing a great job. I'm not hitting the ball. Well, I'm not, you know, passing to my teammates. My shot is not good. I'm not listening to my co-. No one's saying that, but if, an, if a parent can come to practice with an open mind and really evaluate their child within the confines of the practice, typically what they see on game time won't surprise them if they're being honest with themselves. So I think there's a lot of benefits to parents coming to practice. And then I think the third component is I think if you're trying to build a really good team culture where it's not just a coach and his players standing alone in the gym, I touched on this last week. I think you want the parents to feel engaged. I think you want the parents to feel a part of the program, a part of the, the culture, help reinforce that culture. When we get kids on our teams, you're not just getting the kid, you're getting the entire family, you're getting the entire experience the more positive that that relationship can be between the coach, the players and the coach and the parents, you're going to have a better experience. And again, youth sports is about the experience. It's about the entire collective experience, not on, on the field and away from the field. And I think having parents engaged is the right play. Did you hear that parents? You go to the practice, you just behave at the go practice. to the practice, but just don't, get involved unless you're asked to. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the audience fan questions that awesome. we have for this week. So just remember, you could submit these via Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at you think, and we'll answer them on the show next week. Well, we appreciate it. As always, thank you guys so much for listening to you think each week. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will see you next week. Thanks a lot. <laughs>